Good evening. I've got just a little bit of some allergy stuff going on, so I apologize if I get a little bit froggy, but I think you'll be able to hear me either way. I want to start by just thanking you all for your kind attention as we uh, have a discussion through the scriptures this evening. And those of you who are visiting, I'm not the regular preacher, so you can come back. All right, so this evening we're going to focus on, it's kind of funny because Bruce came up to me before we started, and he said, I know you're the preacher and you're going to be preaching at me. I said, well, we're preaching about uh, the characteristics of the young man of God. So I believe that applies. It applies to all of us. And although we're going to be discussing the roles and characteristics of the godly young man, uh, this is something that all of us have a part in, either influencing or applying directly. And you young ladies, you need to listen up because you will be making decisions based on what God's word says about what is a godly man. And you need to be prepared to recognize those characteristics. So this row that's sitting right back over here, yep, that's you. Pay close attention. All right, so our first scripture that we're going to take a look at is 1 Corinthians 16. Common scripture when we're making a discussion about characteristics of men, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. And I'm going to read this from several different versions. Unless I say otherwise, uh, I read from the New American Standard. But this one is good to, good to see several ways. New American Standard reads, Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. All that you do must be done in love. New King James says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, let all that you do be done with love. And then King James Version says, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong, let all your things be done in charity. So Paul, when he's closing out the letter to, the first letter to the church at Corinth, and all the issues that they have had. <clears throat> and they've discussed a lot of things that were problems that they needed to correct. And he ends that by saying, men, here's who you need to be. Here's what you need to practice going forward so that you make the corrections and you are doing the things that need to be done. And as we know from the second letter, there were many corrections that uh, not only needed to be made, but were made. So let's talk through this a little bit. Uh, the first part of that verse, be on the alert or watch ye. Now the original of this means literally to watch, but it's like a watchman. It's a military term. So it means you're going to be a sentinel, like a sentinel in the army. So what is the responsibility of someone like that? Well, it's not just... Let's glance around every so often and see what's coming, right? It's let's look across the horizon. 
Let's see what's coming at us. And when we talk about, in a spiritual sense, the man of God needs to constantly be looking across the horizon and seeing what is coming at he and his family and his brethren. It's something that needs to be practiced and needs to be paid attention to. You know, we're going to have, <coughs> excuse me, worldliness. Uh, the society that we live in has, you know, has just gone crazy. I don't know any other way to put it. And it's always been that way. Satan has always worked to rule in the hearts of men. But some of the things that are coming at us now, you couldn't even have imagined even 10 years ago, let alone 20 or 30 years ago. We've got to watch. Now, from a positive the man of God watches for the opportunities to do good, watches for the opportunities, as, as in David's lesson this morning, to spread the word, to share the gospel with others. So, so being on watch has both a, a positive and a negative side to it, but it's something that we are commanded to do and must do at all times. <coughs> Excuse me, stand firm in the faith or stand fast in the faith. Godly Christian man stands firm and does not waver in his faith before God. He's taken a stand for Christ and will not be moved. Absolutely will not. Act like men or quit you like men. This literally means Conduct oneself in a manly, courageous way. So to be a mature Christian man, I have to be of strong moral fiber, willing to stand against sin, to lead and guard my family away from those worldly influences that we talked about and toward heaven. Quit you like men I'm sorry, should be fixed in my mind as a daily reminder of my responsibilities as a Christian man. So let's look at an example of someone who did not do this very well. And the Bible's full of both positive and negative examples. Let's look at a negative example. Let's read 1 Kings 11, beginning in verse 1. I don't know whose water this is, but it became mine just a moment ago. <laughs> Excuse me. Thank you. 1 Kings 11, verse 1. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you. <coughs> For they will surely turn your heart away from their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God. 
as the heart of David his father had been. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord fully as David his father had done. So what do we know about Solomon? Was he wise? I mean, should he have been wise enough to know to avoid this? Well, he certainly should have been, but unfortunately he was not. 1 Kings 4, 29 and 30 reads, Now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. <clears throat> there was no man that was wiser than Solomon, and yet he allowed his judgment and wisdom to be clouded by outside influences. Now you might think, well, okay, how's this going to apply to me? I mean, he was a king. He had anything he wanted, right? He had access to things that I will never have access to. That is absolutely true. But he was also somebody who had been given great wisdom by God, and he abused that. And he obviously thought that he was strong enough to be able to have all those foreign wives and women in his life and still serve God properly. You know, we can think that, yes, yeah, something's coming at us, but, you know, we can, we can manage that. It's all right. We can still have a foot in the world in whatever it might be and remain faithful to God. That just simply is not true. Or you might say, well, you know, maybe I haven't been warned enough or maybe we don't understand, have a clear enough understanding of the scriptures. Let's look at one more thing about uh, Solomon, and that we will find in 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings 2, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> As David's time to die drew near, he charged Solomon his son, saying, I am going the way of the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn, so that the Lord may carry out his promises, which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons are careful of their way to walk before me in truth, with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So Solomon was clearly warned by his father David on his deathbed. Would there be a reminder or a suggestion that would be more significant than from your father on his deathbed? I would think not. I would think that would be the most, one of the most significant things I had ever experienced. And yet, for Solomon, he thought he could do what he wanted to do 
and have the pleasures that he wanted in life and still serve God. As a man of God, we are going to serve self, which is ultimately Satan, or we're going to serve God. There's not going to be an in-between where we can do both, which is what really much of the world would try to convince you. You know, most of the religious world, you think about the changes that have gone on in American denominations over the last 20, 30 years, even over the last 10 years. You know, you wouldn't even recognize some of those churches. I mean, when, when I was a little kid, a lot of the more conservative denom denominations, you could recognize those folks because they knew their doctrine and their doctrine actually meant something to them. Might have been wrong, but what they believed, they practiced. These days, you could walk into most denominational churches. I mean, I've, I've got lots of family in denominationalism, so I get to hear some of these things, right? You could walk into most denominational churches now and not recognize one from another because they've gone so far into the world. I heard an old preacher many years ago who said, one of the things I fear about the church or about many local churches is that we tend to follow society, but we follow it from up here, right? So as denominationalism and society in general goes down, so do we. But we stay far enough away from those practices that we feel comfortable. We've got to make sure that's not where we are. We've got to make sure that we have gone back to the scriptures and that is all that we are practicing. So what did King David tell his son Solomon about who he should be as a man? He said, be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Does that not sound very familiar with what we saw in 1 Corinthians? Paul said, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Solomon heard, be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. So let's get into some specifics here. Let's look at 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. We're going to read that, and we're going to read Titus 2, 6, and 7. So you might leave one marker or finger in 1 Timothy 4.12. 1 Timothy 4.12 reads, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. And then Titus 2, verses 6 and 7. They read, Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible, in all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine and dignified. So 1 Timothy 4.12, you know, it's interesting. It says, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but show yourself an example. So why do people look down on youthfulness? If they do, why do they? Well, one reason may be that you as a young person are not showing yourself as an example, right? 
I mean, think about it. Uh, now, people are going to make the assumption when they see me, if I walk through the, the door to business that I want to do business at, they make the assumption that I know what I'm talking about because I got a lot of gray hair, right? Now, they may find out that I don't, but initially, that's what they're going to think. If you're 20 years old and you walk through a door of a business and you want to do business with them, what are they going to assume initially? Yeah, you're just, just out of school, the paint's still wet, you don't know what you're talking about, you know. Well, but you can prove that to be wrong. Now, there's some very mature young people in this congregation that show themselves well. That's where all of you need to strive to be. I mean, there's some, there's some folks in junior high, high school, and college class that are all young people that you can be extremely proud of. And the young people that uh, are married that have graduated from those classes, right? All right, so let's talk a little bit more about this. Think about, as this applies to you, those of you that are young, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but in your speech, your conduct, your love, your faith and purity, show yourself an example. A good test for you, if you wonder, you know, like for me, I'm away from other brethren all the time on business trips and other things. So it's easy for me to test who I am. Because when there's no brethren around, that's when you're going to find out who are you really. I mean, when your parents are around or other Christians are around, okay, are you acting differently then than you would act if you were around friends in the world and there are no Christians. You know, I always told seniors in high school, you will find out who you are if you're going off to college somewhere away from your family, you will find out who you are when you get there. Because that's when you don't have anybody watching you and helping you stay in line, right? What is your core character? And I would challenge you to think about that and to consider that. But don't let people look down on your youthfulness because as a young Christian, you have a lot to offer. So young Christian men, <clears throat> if you are considering dating a young lady, what standard do you use to decide whether that young lady is someone you should date or not? You have a standard. You know, I would guess for a couple of you, it might be, is she cute and does she run slowly enough that I can catch her? <laughs> now, I'm hoping that I'm just having fun with you, okay? But seriously, think about the fact that who you date Someone you date, you will marry. If you get married, you're going to have dated them first, right? Well, I see young people all the time, and I don't know the young folks here as well as I have at some other congregations we've been at, where they wind up dating someone they would never, they say they'd never marry. That's kind of interesting. 
Why would you date someone you wouldn't marry? As a Christian, it is critical that you know what it is that you are looking for in a young lady, you know, and, and writing down things ahead of time so that you can consider those, I think is a really good idea. And I've known Christian young folks who've done that or parents that have had their kids do that and had it work out very well. Does this young lady display the, the spiritual characteristics of a woman of God according to the scriptures? Not what society would tell you, not is she just a, a nice person, but does she fulfill those, uh, those descriptions that we find in the scriptures? Is she going to be a good wife and mother? Is she going to be willing to work with me and submit to my headship? Now, most of the people, if you went out in society and talked about headship and submission, they would tell you you're absolutely crazy. But God's word has not changed. Now, that's, you know, when I say headship, I'm not talking about he's a dictator or any of that, but you have to have a young lady who is willing to fulfill her role and help you fulfill your role. Because you're going to have a tough time if she's not willing to be who God wants her to be. You're going to have a tough time being who God wants you to be. So we're going to take a little side trip here for just a few minutes and talk to the young ladies in the congregation. I would say the same thing to you. Do you have a list of characteristics that you want to see in a young man before you date them? You could list, well, even from what we got here, some very specific things that you could take a look at and, and judge a young man by. And that's not a wrong thing to do. In fact, that's the right thing to do. Is he someone who will lead our family well, both physically and spiritually? Will he guard our family's souls against the snares of Satan? And flipping the one that we asked just a minute ago, can I submit to his headship? If he's not gonna be a, a strong leader in your family, you can't drag him along. He must be someone that you can submit to that's going to lead your family well. Uh, one that I think is really important, how does he treat his parents and specifically, how does he treat his mother? Because if you watch a young man and if his parents are Christians in the congregation and you see them interact and he mistreats them, guess what? He's likely to mistreat you because he has not learned, and, and you don't, you know, and again, I'm not talking about any particular person. I'm just saying he has not learned the proper treatment of women and the proper respect if he is mistreating his mother. So watch and see how he treats his mother. 
I have to say I have, uh, I have observed some very, very good relationships between parents and their kids here. And in particular, older young men and their mothers. And that's, that's something that you can observe. And young ladies, I would recommend that you have a list that you have put together. Get your mom or your grandmother or another uh, wise woman who will help you put that list together so that you make the best decision that you can make with regard to who you're gonna date. Now, the other thing is, make sure you apply these before you start dating. I have heard, and in fact, one little story I'm gonna tell you here right quick. Uh, somebody who wound up dating a non-Christian who was not interested in Bible study or coming to worship, which should have been the red flag that stopped that relationship, but unfortunately was not. That person said to me when I went to them, well, we're just dating. I would never marry a non-Christian. Turn and run the other way. If you have someone who is not willing to study the Bible, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying, I know lots and lots of great Christians who were converted out of the world. Wonderful, faithful Christians. But set your standard properly and hold to that standard. Because once your heart takes over, you're kind of done. And that's what normally happens in the dating process, right? You get far enough in, and then it's your emotions that take over rather than the Word of God. You've got to make sure it's the other way around. <coughs> now, one of my favorites, <clears throat> and I'm sorry if a generalization offends you, but I'll offend you at some point if you hang out with me long enough anyway, so we might as well do it now. I have heard... Well, he has such great potential. Uh-huh. Okay. That's fine. So what you're telling me is he's not much to look at now. There's a lot of crust that has to get peeled back to make him worthwhile. But isn't he cute? Sorry. That should be a red flag for you. If you've got to talk yourself into it, don't. And again, I'm not trying to be cruel to those you might date. But who you date, somebody that you date, you're going to marry. And how long is the rest of your life? A long, long time. And you want to make sure you're married to someone who is going to help you get to heaven and who you can encourage to get to heaven. If he's a, now, if he's willing to allow God's word to change his life, that's great. If he's willing to study, if he's willing to, to grow, then maybe you can help chip that crust away. But otherwise, head the other direction. So two stories, and then we're going to close. 
Um, the first, I'll, I'll do the negative first and then the positive. So there was a young man that I had in a Bible class. This has been 30 years ago. And if you had asked me, I'd had him, I had taught him for three years, so I knew him well. And if you had asked me, who will you have that graduates the high school class that are still going to be faithful and growing 10 years from now, I'd have put him at the top of the list, the absolute top. He preached, he taught, he was a deep Bible student, great young man. Well, he got into college, uh, and he was, he was at a, you know, at a normal university, and all of a sudden, he was dating. And he was dating a girl who was a practicing Catholic. She showed up at services once or twice, would not come back again, and wouldn't study. Now, had he kind of had the, or followed the, the system that I was talking about, that would have been it. And it doesn't make her a, a terrible person. It just means she's not a candidate for him to marry, right? So stop dating. Well, he didn't. She wouldn't agree to a Bible study. I went and talked to him, as did a number of other folks. And he was one of the ones that said, yeah, you know, you know I would never marry a non-Christian. I said, well, stop dating her if she won't study. If she'll study, that's great. If she won't study, turn the other way. Well, he didn't. And two years later, he fell away. They had a big Catholic wedding. And that was about 30 years ago. They're still together. They have a family. And... Uh, there are brethren there that still run into him on occasion due to business, and he's lost, and his entire family is lost. A positive story from that same congregation. There was a young lady at, uh, at that church that she too went to college. She met a young man there who was a non-Christian. He started attending worship with us. Um... She made it clear up front before they dated that she would never seriously date or marry a non-Christian. And she told him right up front. And she told him up front what that meant. And he said, okay. And he hung around and he eventually started studying and then he was converted. And then you might think, oh, well then she married him. Nope. She dated him for two more years because she wanted to make sure that he was growing in his faith before they married. Two more years. So four years total they dated before she said, okay. That's a huge commitment, right? That's a long time. But again, you're talking the rest of your life. They married. Uh, they are still together. They have... Uh, young adult children now who are also faithful. He serves as a deacon in the church. A great story. I, unfortunately, I've seen many more of the first story than the second story. 
And it's up to us to decide, right? Young folks, you're gonna decide. Ultimately, your parents can't make you do anything. They can try to influence you. They can do the best job they, they can do. But when it comes down to it, it's gonna be your choice. And you're gonna make that choice, who it is that you're going to date and then marry and spend the rest of your life with. You think about those two stories, both of them had a pivotal point where they made a decision to stop or to move forward and how to move forward. And both of those decisions headed them down a completely different road, right? You could see it coming. I mean, the, on both sides. Now, does anything guarantee that then 30 years down the road, you're still gonna be married to an individual who's been faithful to you for that period of time and it's been a perfect marriage? I wish I could say it, it does, it doesn't. But what I can tell you is your best chance at a perfect marriage, and when I say perfect, it means <laughs> you're both Christians, you're both serving God together, and you're growing and encouraging one another, your best chance is making good decisions early on so that you're giving yourself the best shot at what God expects out of us in our marriage. At this point, we'll go ahead and close out one more time. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. At this time, we'll offer the invitation of the Lord. If you have not obeyed the Lord in baptism, you can this evening make that right. If you know that you are ready to confess and you're ready to repent of your sins, you can make that right tonight. Or we can start a study with you, we can help you, we can encourage you. But if you're a Christian and you aren't who you know God wants you to be, make that right tonight. Do what you need to do. And if there's any way that we can help you, please come forward as together we stand and sing the song that was announced.